Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Political State Podcast from the Oklahoman. I'm Ben Felder here in the Oklahoman's podcast studio. And after a few weeks off, we're back at it with another episode talking politics here in the Sooner State. Joining me here in the studio is our state capital reporter, Carmen Foreman, and our federal government reporter, Chris Castile. How are you guys? Good. Thanks, Good. Ben. Thanks it, for having us. Yeah, you bet. Well, it's your show, too. So you're always <laughs> always welcome here. Uh, off for a few weeks. Carmen, we've we've been to Mexico City in between that time. No, not together. Separate trips. But we both vacationed separately in Mexico City. Chris, did you go anywhere? I did summer? not. I've, I've been here holding down the fort. I'm glad you guys had a good time. Yeah. Well, well uh, you have to go to Mexico City when you go on vacation okay. now. We'll, we'll get out sometime. All right. Um, especially before, before things get too busy with the uh, federal elections and stuff like that. They're already underway. But a lot to talk about in politics. Uh, you know, we could spend a show catching up on the things the last few weeks, but enough to keep us busy this week, um, including maybe a little uh, college football fever from the governor, um, name-dropping <laughs> a former um, – I'm guessing not great, <laughs> coach of the Sooners. Uh, the John, worst ever, maybe. John Blake that I had to look up. I'm not from Oklahoma, didn't go to OU. But Carmen, you went to OU. I don't know if you were. Did you know John Blake? Uh, I did not. I'm young, and I am also not the largest OU football fan. Shh, don't tell anybody. I, I like to spend my Saturdays in other ways. Well, keep that between s- us. Carmen. Open on Sunday this year, so you can still do something on Saturday. But So this week, the Oklahomans' Nolan Clay reported that Governor Kevin Stitt would like to replace Glenn Johnson as the state's higher education chancellor. So Jody Parker, who's the chair of the state regents, which oversees the chancellor, expressed support for Johnson. Um, but in that story, uh, Stitt, when asked about this, his quote was, uh, speaking about Johnson, was, this guy makes over $400,000 a year, and we're just underperforming. It's like we've got John Blake as a head coach, and we're going 3-8, and eight, and I want to go hire Bob Stoops. When I see something that's broken, I want to go fix it. So um, sports analogy, it's not terribly too uncommon from uh, um, from politicians. Um, but uh, I, I, Chris, you and I were talking about this this week, and, and Carmen, you too. I mean, this was a little surprising because this – just seemed to be not his style. One, he doesn't talk about the Sooners a lot. He didn't he's, go to, he's he didn't go to OU. Yeah. yeah, he went to OSU. Um, but for some, and no one did the interview. I don't know what his tone was. But for some, this seemed like kind of a um, abrasive comment or kind of an aggressive comment that is not really the governor's style. No, I was str- I was really struck by it. Um, you know, I I was on the uh, campaign most of last year. I spent ten months on the road, uh, m- much of it with Kevin Stitt. And he never really criticized people, and I, I don't think it's his nature really to do that. And that that quote, I, the other thing about Kevin Stitt that I, that I don't, you know, that kind of didn't ring true to me about that was that I don't think he's that big a sports fan. He's an Aggie. I am an OU grad and an OU uh, Sooners football fan, and I wouldn't have remembered John Blake's record. I knew it was dismal, but three and eight, I don't think I would have been able to pluck out like that. So um, I'm just I, I'm curious about the origin of that that whole quote, really, and uh, and I kind of wonder how he felt uh, the next day reading it. Um, like I said, it's just not not in his nature to really to go after people like that. But he's also Going after the higher regions was that a co- it's a constitutional body. The, the chancellor, Glenn Johnson, um, former member of the state legislature and a former university president in Oklahoma, is chosen by the regents and retained by the regents if they're happy with his work. The you know the thrust of you know the state administration early on has been to sort of consolidate power and the you know executive branch power in the governor's office and this. This one is just kind of outside that realm of 
agencies like you know the healthcare financing authority mm-hmm. or Department of Corrections or something. I mean, higher education is kind of its its own kingdom, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. its own fiefdom. So I don't know, you know, uh, we had a, a colleague refer to it as Trumpian, and it kind of was, you know, to, like, it was almost as if he was trying to humiliate him or bully him in, in some way um, to try to effectuate some kind of change that he couldn't get otherwise. Yeah. If, if anything, the quote kind of reminded me of, you know, Stitt has this quote, and he used it more when he was pushing for the agency accountability bills um, where he got... Um, the power to hire and fire five new agency heads. Um, And he also used a sports quote in talking about that. And I think it also referenced Bob Stoops because he would basically say, you know, oh, well, um, you know, I want to hire a coach for the Sooners and, and, you know, maybe I get to hire Bob Stoops. Or or, no, he I'm totally butchering his quote, but he's he's comparing himself to Bob Stoops and he's saying, you know, I'm Bob Stoops, I'm coaching the Sooners and yet I can't hire my defensive Mm -hmm. um, coach, I can't hire my I don't know the different coaches the on a football team. Come, come on, no, no. I, well, I, I see what you're saying. I mean, and, hey, and, and sports is a common analogy to use in politics. Um, and, and evoking Bob Stoops' name is probably always a good idea. Well, maybe for half the state here in Oklahoma. Um, I think a little more than half. Yeah. What's What's interesting to me is that um, you know you talked about the first months of his administration was consolidating power, gaining that power. You know, putting people in 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 director positions where he could quickly do that. Has he now, and I know he's still got a few of those to go, but has he kind of exhausted that immediate reach? And now he's starting to look at areas where, you know, the governor, does, governor doesn't traditionally, you know, pick these people. Is he growing frustrated? And now he's going to go public with his frustrations. Should we expect to see more of this where the governor is being um, aggressive and saying, this person's not good. I don't have the power to fire them, but I'm going to use my bully pulpit. Well, I was talking to Chris earlier this week and I said, you know, I wonder if this is an early indication that he could ask the legislature next year to put something on the ballot to give him authority over, you know, the state regents or or the fact that maybe he he got more power this year and the legislature gave it to him pretty willingly. And so maybe he's going to try to push for more power through the legislature or through a ballot process. Yeah, the, and which is what it would take with higher ed. They would have to put it on the ballot, as they did with um, the Department of Human Services, which was also a commission in which the director was uh, hired or retained by that commission. But, you know, I also have gotten the impression I've been kind of following the process for replacing um, a couple of Supreme Court, uh, state Supreme Court justices. He's got two vacancies. And I'm starting to kind of get the impression that um, he wants to do away with this process that Oklahoma has had since the 60s, I think. It's a big judicial bribery scandal in the 60s where the nominees are – there's a commission that whittles down the um, applicants to like mm-hmm. three people and then the governor um, can only choose from those three people. Um, maybe, you know, kind of over uh, – misinterpreting what what's – what's been said to me, but it it almost sounds like he would rather just go out and pick the person and then maybe have Senate confirmation than rather go through, than go through this process, that um, kind of lengthy process where he's presented with three options. You've got to pick Mm -hmm. one of these. So to get to your question, I don't think he's done um, trying to, uh, you know, give the governor more control over things that, that, um, but that's, uh, it's not going to be as easy as those first five. Yeah. 
And we've talked about that before, I mean, especially early on in his tenure, I mean, still pretty early on, not even a year in, that, you know, this is a CEO who's used to having the final say right. on everything. And, you know, for a guy that hasn't really paid too much attention to politics in the past, you, know, you think governor, hey, governor's got to be the most powerful person in Oklahoma politics, but you quickly learn that you don't quite have as much power as you think. You get blamed for a lot of things, but you don't always have the opportunity to, you know, hire and fire like you would from a CEO perspective. Right. That has to go down. I'm sorry. I was just going to say Oklahoma is unique in that regard because we do have more of a weak governorship model, whereas other states, the governors are able to do more and hire more and fire more. Right. I mean, and there there were some examples, uh, you know, on the campaign trail that he uses after that whole health department scandal with the the missing money that was oh found in a federal account. Um, he couldn't fire the health department director after the his. Um, series of just terrible missteps in, ex- in um, administering the the death penalty uh, a few years ago. He couldn't. F- the Mary Fallon couldn't fire the Department of Corrections direct. So, you know, their hands are tied in ways that most people probably don't understand. Is this? Do you think this is a new strategy then? I mean, for those positions, he doesn't have that ability that he's got to convince a board. I mean, the, you know, uh, the chair of the state region says they don't plan to make a change. I'm sure he went to them first and expressed. In fact, the story said that. Um, but is this now? You know, what you do when you're a governor who, assumingly, still has high favorability ratings um, and is still in that kind of honeymoon period where you say, "Hey, the people were with me a year ago. I think they're still with me now, and I'm going to try to win this battle in the, the court of public opinion." It could work. It could backfire because now that all of this is out in the public, which, sorry, we are newspaper reporters. We love all this out in the public. But, um, you know, the state regents might hold their ground even more and not be willing to give an inch to Kevin Stitt after this. Yeah, I agree. It could backfire. Mm -hmm. And and it's this one. This one is going to be unusual if, if he persists, you know, if, if he if he continues to try to force Glenn Johnson out using the quote bully pulpit, mm-hmm. um, it, 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 I think it could it, it could hurt him ultimately. Yeah. Plus, I, I you know, the bully pulpit, I don't know how helpful it is here because who really knows what the state chancellor for higher education. I mean, how many average people who um, think very highly of Kevin Stitt are like, oh, yeah, I know exactly what the state chancellor of higher ed does and who that person is. And you're probably just trying to tap into that general sentiment of government doesn't know what they're doing and this outsiders coming in and trying to, to shake things up. Um, hey, and maybe we're maybe we're making too big of a deal of, of this quote. It just didn't seem like something he would just say off the yeah, top of his head, no, which kind of brought some attention to it. Um, and it, so it, it tells me that this is a battle he's willing, you know, to have. I'm, I'm sure there's other battles that he's not, you know, he's not going to waste his time with. He's going to try to pick. The but but, but, it's but, a, but it's this a, one seemed like one he was going to go after. It's a, it, it, and Carmen was saying this earlier this week. It's sort of like the gaming compact, the the approach mm-hmm. that he took yeah. to say, telling. It, telling the public that we need to renegotiate these games he actually had said that during the campaign a few, you know a few of the candidates did but he essentially announced that in a newspaper column and i think without contacting the as far as we know without making any contact with the tribes hey this is coming i think they were really insulted by it and i think it set back probably set back their relationship uh, there's you know there are wounds there the now now you're having special interest groups form on both sides. It was just, it was, you know, it was an unusual way to go about such a sensitive Yeah, and he walked thing. that back a little. I mean, uh, I, I don't know if he, he didn't walk back his position, but he, 
he he you know when the when the tribes responded he didn't keep that kind of aggressiveness up to say no I'm going to get this done. He's like mm-hmm. okay I think we can figure this out. I mean maybe the you know I wasn't trying to go you know just you know not inform you of, of this. So but yeah you're right. I mean, maybe we're starting to see now a governor who's hitting those areas where he's like I want to make change here. I'm used to being able to do what I want. I can't do that. I, I'm going to go out and, and be outspoken about this. And worth noting, um, uh, Governor Stitt did contact the five tribes and um, leaders of the five tribes before the op-ed be- came out, but I don't think he mentioned the op-ed. And, uh, you know, that doesn't change the fact that the tribes definitely have hurt feelings from mm-hmm. how that all shook out. Right. Yeah. The response was interesting to me on, on Twitter this week and, and sharing the story, Nolan's story and this quote. There was kind of three types of responses. One was just... Uh, football fans. I mean, it was odd to me. There were a lot of people who were just, their, their responses were nothing more than just like, yeah, football. Like, I, mean, was, I didn't know where they fell on the Stoops, matter. Man. They were just like, I, I'm happy that the Sooners, Sooner football is being used in, in the political realm because we just want to continue to, to expand that. Uh, I mean, there were Republicans, some that said, you know, hey, we support the governor and do this. You know, but Democrats, I mean, their response, and this is a pretty easy one to formulate, is that uh, you're not giving you know higher ed enough money to do the things that you're wanting to do, and you're, you're using him as a scapegoat. Now, we can talk later if, if they are getting enough money and that kind of thing, but that was kind of the initial response from um, from the Democrats was that, you know, this you're, you're barking up the wrong tree. You know, a Democrat, I mean, um, higher ed, it, it's been cut brutally uh, mm-hmm. through the uh, last few years, which led to a lot of the tuition hikes, but I, I don't think it got near, they didn't even try to bump it up to anywhere near it was uh, before all the budget uh, problems. No. And, and higher ed is an interesting thing right now because it's become so partisan. I mean, everything has become partisan. But uh, I, th- I think it was Pew last year or two years ago at least, uh, very recently, had done a survey, has, does a, a regular survey to see where Democrats and Republicans, how they – the, the importance of higher education. And mm-hmm. I think the question was, does higher education have a positive impact on society? Majority of Democrats said yes. The majority of Republicans several years ago also said yes. Now there's a deep partisan divide. The majority of Democrats still say yes. The majority of Republicans say no. Now you'd have to unpack that a little bit. But there is, I mean, like I said, everything's become partisan now. You ask anybody right. what they think of something, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna think, well, how should I think in my corner? Um, but there is this kind of animosity towards higher I, education. I was at right a, a, a Tom Cole in Chickasha at a town hall meeting um, that, to, that uh, Tom Cole was holding the other night. Some guy stood up and just went off on. It was the usual, you mm-hmm. know, all these liberal professors trying to indoctrinate kids. Um, and it's just like, you know, this 10-minute screed about it. And I assume, he, you know, this is a mainly Republican audience uh, down there to, in Republican Grady County just to see Tom Cole. But you're right. I mean, it was just probably backed up by nothing but yeah. whatever, you know, he'd seen in whatever media he yeah, and, and, watches, and you know. campuses have become kind of the arena for some of these partisan fights. And it's not and, the first time. No, and it's not. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, so when I read, you know, I think it was, you know, Minority Leader Virgin, who represents Norman, you know, when she, and her quote on the story was that, you know, we're not properly funding higher ed. You need to do that first. Um, I, you know, I, I think Stitt probably w- understands that a lot of Republicans, especially in rural areas, are skeptical of higher ed. And whether the impression is true or not, when they go to some of these campuses, I mean, they see the buildings being built and the book football stadiums. And we know that those are, you know, it's, it's a lot more to it. It's not coming out of education budgets, but that's not the perception. Mm-hmm. And so I would imagine the governor also feels like he has quite a bit of supporters on his side who feel like higher ed maybe is getting too much money, or at well, least not spending the money they're getting wisely. Well, I think there's kind of a 
historical distrust mm-hmm. in Oklahoma of, you know, um, I don't want to use intellectualism, whatever it might be, education. There are parts of the state where it's much more pronounced. Yeah. Well, an example of an urban-rural divide, if you will, and I think we're seeing potentially another one as we switch gears here, um, the permitless carry debate. We thought it was over. It's not quite over. Uh, the first bill that uh, Governor Stitt signs this year, a uh, permitless carry that allows individuals, most individuals, to carry a gun without training or a license, is set to take effect November 1st. Um, Representative Lowe, an Oklahoma City Democrat, Democrat along with some other um, groups, uh, started an initiative petition. Uh, Carmen, can catch us up. Where, where are we at on this? What's this petition? What are they seeking to do, and, and how long do they have? Yeah, so basically, um, Moms Demand, Representative Lowe, um, people who are opposed to this bill taking effect have until next Thursday at, that's, um, you know, August 29th at 5 p.m. to turn in. Either they have 60,000 approximately valid signatures of people who want to put this on a ballot next year to have a statewide vote on this issue, or if they don't get that required number of signatures, then the bill goes forward and becomes law on November 1. And so um, if they get the signatures, it would delay the implementation? Correct, yes. Okay. Until the statewide vote. It would go to a statewide vote. Chris, I, how do you guess that vote? That vote. Was well, I, I think you know. I said I think people voted on this when they elected Kevin Stitt. It was a it was a you know, main uh, uh, p- issue of difference between him and Democrat Drew Edmondson, and Stitt won basically every rural county. Yeah, and um, you had the vote overwhelming in twenty. 18 and 2019 in 2018 governor fallon vetoed it 2019 they overwhelmingly approve it and the governor signs it so i you've had the people's representatives and and by proxy the people themselves i think speak to this yeah and i say an urban rural divide because uh low an oklahoma city democrat uh we've seen uh councilwoman joe beth hammond from oklahoma city she's trying to put together a resolution for the council to show support um mayor david holt a moderate republican has said that he had signed the petition has not said if he how he would vote if it came to a vote um i mean what we've talked about this too, not on the podcast, but the, over the last couple of weeks, Carmen. There does, you know, Lowe is leading this charge. Um, some some anti-gun groups are leading this charge. Liberal, you know, councilwoman and, and members of, the, of Oklahoma City's political sphere are a part of this. But I, I have not seen the larger Democratic caucus rally behind this effort. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think uh, how do I put this? Uh, I think they have gotten involved because they've been you know I saw like Forrest Bennett got called out on Twitter the other day like somebody tweeted at him and was like hey did you sign this after Mayor Mm -hmm. Holt announced that he had signed it and um, Representative Bennett he said that yes I I signed it but um, I don't think the Democrats are really coming out fully to support it and it does sort of go back to that rural urban divide um, like I talked to Representative Perryman yesterday, who's out in Chickasha. He's stepping down when his term ends, but he's one of the last few rural Democrats in the legislature. And he kind of said, you know, oh, I totally see where Representative Lowe is coming from. If I represented a very urban district, I would be trying to get this, you know, repealed immediately. Um, but he talked about how it's different when you're in a, in a rural district and um, basically 
people in rural areas, he said, would not let those who are untrained or uh, incapable of using a firearm correctly from carrying a firearm. And, you know, when you're a city, there's a difference. If a gun accidentally goes off in a city, it's different than if you're in rural Oklahoma and there's nothing but cows and grass around yeah, Potentially. You. I mean, there's a cultural divide. I, 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 there's... I mean, I would imagine if the Democratic caucus was going to come, you know, stand behind low on this. I mean, that would hurt your chances in 2020, right, if you're trying to actually win some of these rural seats? It's not a winning issue for Democrats. By the way, low is an Oklahoma City Democrat, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's not at all a winning issue for – I don't – in this state or nationally. I mean, that was – and ever since 1994, the uh, election cycle where – Bill Clinton, it was Bill Clinton's first two years in office. Democrats controlled both houses of Congress. They passed the Brady Bill, the Brady Bill, which is the waiting period for buying a handgun. And then they passed a crime bill that included a ban on, on semi-automatic weapons. Um, that fall, Democrats got annihilated, including the Speaker of the House at that time, Tom Foley, who had a, a district in um, the state of Washington that had a lot of rural, near Spokane and out, outside of that. Um, I think Oklahoma wound up with one Democrat in its delegation after that, after having a majority mm-hmm. Democrat. And so it's, I don't give you chapter and verse about it, but back in 2019 or 2009 and 10, Obama's first two years, the um, Democrats had the House and Senate large majorities in mm-hmm. both. And um, in fact, kind of a, a 60 vote uh, a majority in the Senate, they didn't even try to do gun control. And it's for this very reason. It's not a winning issue for them. I mean, the NRA is very powerful. Um, the, at that time, there was still what, you know, we referred to then as centrist and moderate mm-hmm. Democrats are really, they're kind of few and far between now. And it just wipes them out. Those are the people who get wiped out and, and you know, after gun votes or people who are from these rural areas or moderate Democrats who, you know, push comes to shove, they might vote for gun restriction, but they don't, they really don't want to. And Tom Cole the other night, he was getting just screamed at in Norman on this issue at a, at a town hall. <clears throat> he said, look, you know, this can be a state issue. Gun, guns can be a state issue. It, it, it's not up to the federal government on every single mm-hmm. thing. And, and he's, act, he's absolutely correct, really. I mean, as far as Supreme Court decisions have, have gone on Second Amendment since Heller, they haven't taken one up, but they have let state and city restrictions stand on handgun possession and on semi-automatic uh, weapon possession. So if Oklahoma City really wants to take on guns, Oklahoma City can pass gun restrictions. Mm-hmm. They don't have to just get behind this and do kind of what's what's really just a, a show vote on Tuesday, right? About, um, hey, yeah. we, you know, we, we don't like saying we, show, we, we support this effort. Pass an ordinance saying you can't have semi-automatics in Oklahoma City. The, the Supreme Court has let stand a ban on semi-automatics in Illinois, in an yeah. Illinois town. But the legislature here often passes bills that preempts the authority from well, they can localities. Then do that. They, do that, yeah. they, so they haven't done it they yet. They probably would, but yeah, yeah. you're right. I mean, that's, that would be a They could come now. along and do that. Yeah. Yeah. But like I said, if the city wants to make a real stand on guns and pass some gun restrictions in Oklahoma City. Yeah. I, I personally think it would be fascinating to see the electorate that would turn out if this measure were on the ballot and if Medicaid expansion were on the ballot at the same time. And then, you know, whatever regular election it is, you know, whether Donald it's, Trump. Yeah. So 
I, I can't even imagine what that would look like. We have to just do them in different elections just so we can really, like, study each one individually. <laughs> We're not going to get that probably. But uh, – um, and I, it I don't would be up to stit, right? Yeah. What ballot yeah. he puts them on? Yeah, it won't necessarily be November. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I, the, the city city council vote is on Tuesday. Um, I think that's interesting. Uh, city hall reporter Bill Crum, I think, reported that at least two or three councilors have already said they're not going to support this. Um, a couple, including Hammond, says that they are. Don't know where the mayor is at on this. Once again, he said I. He, he tweeted a photo of his signature on it, but has not said that he. Uh, would support this initiative um, you know you have and and I think it's interesting you're starting to see the continued uh, leaning left of Oklahoma City politics at mm-hmm. least in the core I mean I think it's I think it's fair to say and I imagine she probably would wear this label with honor but Joe Bethamon is probably one of the most progressive or liberal politicians in the state based on what we've seen early on um, James Cooper um, just north of her um, on the city council has also said he would support it so we're also kind of seeing that kind of you know move to the left at least within kind of the urban core of Oklahoma City and I think this this effort kind of shows that mm-hmm. um, and then you have a mayor once again and we don't want to get too much in this because I want to end with does he have to vote but I mean, yeah he's a voting member on the council okay. yeah I mean I guess he didn't have to vote yeah. but um, you know he he tweeted. And this has kind of become common for him. He he tweets something in a way that a lot of those on the left say that that they appreciate, right? And, mm-hmm. and part of that may be because they still view him as a Republican, even though he's in a nonpartisan office. But when he comes out and he says something, you know, positive about the immigrant community in light of what the president's saying, a lot of Democrats may say, "Hey, look, finally a Republican who's saying you know something that we want to hear, even if it's not quite as forceful." as we want. Right. But it's not as forceful as they want. He's, there's still kind of a line that he's he's walking, maybe wisely so. It might be good politics. But on this issue, he said, I support the petition. I support the right to vote, but didn't say that he was against permitless carry. Yeah, which makes me wonder why I tweet it. I mean, he, he, he seemed to be kind of like trying to walk that tightrope. But... And maybe he could do that in Oklahoma County if he were to seek higher office, seek elective office, again, partisan elected office again. But... He's already in those tweets alone, just by not coming out, you know, four square against this petition, hurt himself with, you know, rural Republicans and and, and Republicans who believe not coming out against sanctuary cities is basically an endorsement of them, and which is kind of what happened with Mick Cornett yeah. last year. Although there, it's a fine line, and we talk about the the swing to the left in parts of Oklahoma City, but there's still a lot of a lot of conservatives in the mm-hmm. city. There's still a lot of powerful conservatives that he, you know, I think wisely is probably think, you know, he, he needs to bridge that gap, right? right. And it's probably getting pretty tough. I mean, most cities are, are have kind of swung one way or the other. And, and Oklahoma City may be one of your true last purple cities left. Uh, and part of that may just be because our boundaries are so <laughs> big that we extend into some areas other cities don't. But uh, yeah. we'll we'll, uh, we'll have to wait and see how, how he and the others vote on Tuesday. Well, as we wrap up here, so Chris, you've been on the road this week going to some town halls. Uh, Congress is in recess. Um, you're writing about this on Sunday. Um, it sounded like uh, the audiences, whether they were in – urban or rural just kind of you know had some consistent questions yeah one of the, the overarching uh, uh themes to me was was donald trump not just his policies but donald trump and the things that he tweets and the impact that they have i mean in norman you know to get back to the liberal campus uh they there was like a lecture hall of 200 people you know many of most of whom were not friendly uh, probably probably not registered republicans and they, and they were 
I, I don't I don't want to say like jeering at Cole's answers, but they weren't. They're clearly not happy with when you know him just saying, "Look, it's not my fault. I don't tweet it." There's there's this kind of demand, this expectation, I think, among some people who are really offended by Trump that everybody come out forcefully against the things that he says, including Republicans. And uh, they didn't in Norman or in Chickasha later later this week accept the explanation that, hey, you know, I don't like it. I wish he wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. They, I, I think what they want is, you know, him the for people to speak more forcefully about it and there there's just a lot and even in um yukon a very small gathering with uh, frank lucas who's uh, you know big agriculture guy not a neither of these guys ever come out for trump you know cole and yeah. lucas are not they're not trump fans but they also they have to walk a line with it too yeah. you know just as david holt has to walk one of they kind of have to walk a line on this and I'm, I'm sure that early on, um, in, maybe in Trump's candidacy, but definitely in his presidency, anything that was said by them that might be interpreted as not fully supportive or negative probably, re- probably um, resulted in Facebook insults on their Facebook pages, calls mm-hmm. to their offices, and which obviously Tom Cole or Frank Lucas are not sitting in their office answering. Yeah. The, you know, it's kids. You know, these young people that work for them who had to take whatever abuse was, you know, um, being spewed. So I, I, I just, I, I'm not, would never predict that um, Trump wouldn't win Oklahoma next year and probably every county again, maybe every county again. But there is a, there are a lot of people who um, are not on board with his, mm-hmm. with, with his whole deal. Yeah. And that might be, that probably is not going to impact the race, mm-hmm. you know, in you know four out of the five congressional seats. But maybe in in five, we mm-hmm. talked about that. Be interested to see what Trump's presence on the ballot, the things that he says that really emboldens Republican voters in Lucas's district and Cole's district, it may actually work in the favor of, of Kendra Horn. Yeah, it could. I think that's saying. I, I agree. There's. Um in order for Kendra Horn, a Democrat from Oklahoma City who, who beat an incumbent Republican for that congressional seat last year, in order for her to win, she had to have attracted Republican votes because it's a majority Republican district. And I believe the votes that she got are the ones that you wrote about um, in, a, in a piece last year, Republican women in Edmond and Deer Creek. In the northwest part of the In the northwest yeah. part of the, this district. And I think those same voters um, are probably uh, just repulsed by yeah. a lot of what Trump does. And so if, if Horn is to keep that seat, she's probably going to have to win them again. And I would say she's got a chance to win those. Yeah, yeah. but I would also say that, like, Republicans putting up their own female candidates this time, Terry Neese and Stephanie Bice, those women probably have a better chance of, of capturing those Republican female voters that are repulsed by Trump, but they do want to vote for a woman, and they want a woman who maybe feels like they understand them. Um, so I, I, I would agree with you, except the, the things they're saying in the primary. Now. Yeah, both of them are gonna, both of them are gonna have, have to side with Trump on things they won't be able to walk back from when it comes to the general. Yeah, yeah. I, I think what's interesting about 2020 and Horn, and when you look at areas like Northwest Oklahoma City and and the Edmond and Deer Creek suburbs where it seems like there are votes up for grab or she was able to flip and she did. 
my impression, just being on the ground, reporting on this, very anecdotal, and then uh, and then looking at the actual results afterwards, was a lot of these these suburban women were really focused primarily on Drew Edmondson. In fact, it's what made us think that he may have a shot, and right. he didn't really even you know come all that close. But I think the teacher walkout really put education in their mind, and a lot of them said that Drew Edmondson seemed like the governor that had a plan for education. That's true. Was going to support higher education. Now, some of these women told me, I mean, more than once had said, you know, I grew up in a household where it was a sin to vote for a Democrat. I mean, they were, I mean, they were, I mean, some of them were actually, you could I mean, just, you could tell that there was a lot of soul searching, even to come to the point of saying, I'm going to vote for Drew Evanson. And it seemed like once they got there, then they started looking at the rest of the ballot. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these women voted for um, Nicole Miller, a Republican representative who won an open seat uh, in, in the Deer Creek, Northwest Oklahoma City area. I think a lot of them then also voted for Kendra Horn. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, seeing her, that felt like she was a supporter of education, felt like she was a, you know, a, a Democrat, but a moderate Democrat and someone that they could kind of see themselves in. Um, no, I, I mean, that's like, a, once you're on that side, exactly. you typically you're going to continue to support. I remember somebody saying, and, and this whole thing happened in Oklahoma in, a, in, a, you know, in the reverse. All people who had voted for Democrats all their lives yeah. wound up voting for so many Republicans. Back in the 80s, somebody said, you know, I just voted for so many Republicans, I got a nosebleed, you know, and I, but eventually it became, they became comfortable with it, more comfortable with it than voting for Democrats. So, I mean, the same thing could happen here in Oklahoma County and with Republicans voting for Democrats. Yeah. Well, obviously the the Horn race is going to be uh, the, the topic of conversation yeah. for many future episodes of, of Political State. Uh, Chris, I mentioned you've got the, the story on, on Sunday. Uh, Carmen, you've got a story coming up. You're actually going to be talking to the governor about what he thinks about the permless carry repeal effort. I imagine he's still on board. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he signed it. He yeah. seems pretty in favor. He's <laughs> still on that. And so uh, a couple stories coming this weekend. So, well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Political State Podcast with uh, Chris Castillo, Carmen Foreman. I'm Ben Felder with The Oklahoman. Thanks for joining us this week. And we'll see you again for another episode of Political State.